Welcome to Wilborn's World. I am he, George Wilborn, the stress reliever. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Brian Goodson. Yeah, hey. Cool. All right, all right. Welcome to Wilborn's World, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> we are back. I don't know how I'm still on the air, but <laughs> as long as they keep letting me on, we'll keep coming. Yes, sir. All right? Start yeah. off every Wilborn's World, in my opinion, and that's exactly what I'm going to give you, my opinion. So, you keep up with the Red Table Talk by Jada Pinkett, right? Um, on Facebook? I, I, I won't say I keep up with it. I have seen some um, portions of it. I think it's a, a very good show that she has. Gotcha, gotcha. But I'm keeping up with it. I wouldn't go so far as to keep up with it. You know she's 46 now, just to make sure you got that as the base level knowledge, okay. right? All right. She's 46, 46 All right. but she says her vagina is like a 16-year-old. <laughs> Shall I explain? Uh, <laughs> no, let me think about oh, yeah, that. Think a forty-six-year-old woman. Uh, no, this that. woman, yeah. Jada Pinkett. Jada Pinkett. That her still like a how old? Sixteen-year-old. Ah, uh, yes. Explain further. <laughs> yeah. So, so she said she underwent vaginal rejuvenation. Oh, vaginal rejuvenation. A yeah. good friend of mine was a doctor. He performs that. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So after suffering from bladder problems, that's why she got that. Sure, so, Jada. But go on. Yeah. And after three treatments, she said, "I tell you, my." Yoni feels like a 16-year-old. I'm not kidding. Also looks like a beautiful peach. First, uh, listen, listen. Yeah. Now we're getting yeah, too far. Yeah. We're going too far. We're going too far. Gonna... We, first of all, because we all have different <laughs> views of, of, of um, anatomy and what's cute and what's not. <laughs> so I don't need to know what if it's looking like a peach, a plum, or a pear. I really don't care. <laughs> all right? But I will say that I've heard that vaginal rejuvenation, like I said, a buddy of mine who's a gynecologist uh-huh. uh, turned to cosmetic surgery for his gotcha. field, says that, that, that he could call his clients in and they can decide whether they want to be, you know, what age um, <laughs> of 20-something, 30-something, so or younger. So what I'm saying, in my opinion, is that I have zero reasons to not believe her. Okay. And I have zero uh, reasons to say that I can confirm it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to have to take a word for it. <laughs> what else so, you got? So, so staying <laughs> on the topic of the Red Table Talk, EJ, the son of Magic Johnson, yes. they talked about him coming out. They said when he came out after the conversation, both him and the dad cried about it together. Well, I would imagine so. Yeah. And I would imagine whenever... Did they say when he came out? When did EJ um, come out? And I've been knowing Magic for some years now. And I, right. I often wondered how he handled that. So I'm glad that he and EJ are talking about right. it. Now, they didn't really talk about when he did it. I'm guessing this is before he went to college. Because uh, they said before he went to college, that's when he actually had that talk with mm-hmm. him. It was after a family trip. His mom uh, actually saw him getting a little bit too friendly with a friend at a family trip. Okay. And so that's how I came out. And then they both you know, it's interesting. the father. It's, it's interesting. And, and, and these topics come up, and I don't know uh-huh. a lot of times how I'm going to respond to it. Just give you my honest opinion about it. And by me knowing uh, Magic, you know, it, it's, it's just always been curious to me. I've always been curious how he handled it because right. he just, you know, you love your kids, man. But you right. always talk about Magic Johnson, one of the most recognized mm. um, basketball historic players in in the history of this league for him to be on that such a high level and have a son that uh is is not just gay but right. um 
I don't know if he's transgender or right, what. The, boy, I mean, he, he I mean there's no doubt in yeah. anyone's mind that this man feels the way and is 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 born the way he is. Or mm-hmm. I just always wonder how Magic would handle that and what that story was like. Right. You know, so it's interesting. I hope that um, they continue to let yeah. people know about that. Now they said they um, he started off rough, a little rough with it. Um, I would imagine he was, so. He took it hard. Um, he said. That's not what he wanted for his son. He also was not. talking about um, how the world was going to take it. Of course. Um, but and, uh, right after that. And then EJ, man, he blew it up. Right. You know, full EJ face couldn't. Makeup. Full face makeup. Uh, Komodos. He has all <laughs> yeah. type of lingerie. So that yeah. in itself, is if, he, if your son is gay in itself, that's going to be tough to deal right. with. Right. But then when he uh, chooses to be, like you said, a flamboyant person who uh, feels the, the need to express himself right. that way, I, I know that had to be as, as uh, equally as tough on magic. So I'm glad I'm not in that position that I have to deal with that. And that is definitely my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to Wilborn's World Podcast. This is one of my favorite features. It's called Comics Corner. This is a big one. You hear that, Elizabeth? I'm coming to join you, honey. Nanu, nanu. Nanu, nanu. That'd be like trying to give a whale a Tic Tac, mother... He ran up my arm and stuck his in my ear. I'm T.S. motherfucking A. We handle that's what we do. Now, Brian, Comics Corner is dear to me because this is the time when I get a chance to talk to comedians that I know have uh, made contributions to society's comedic laughter mm-hmm. in a great way. And this one young lady that we have today is truly no exception to that. We got Marshall Warfield. She's from Chicago. She's best known for her role on Night Court, Empty yep. Nest. Yep. She's been on movies such as DC Cab, Mass. Yes. She's also been in Riptide, Family what? Ties, Living Single. All the ties. This the woman has <laughs> worked longer than you've been alive, boy. <laughs> Y'all give it up for the one and only Miss Marsha Warfield. Uh, hello. How are you? What's up, sweetheart? How are you? Oh, I'm hanging in here. Well, thank you so much for um, joining me on on Comics Corner here on Wilborn's World. You know, I've got Breon here. Breon Goodson is about how old are you, Breon? 23. He's 23 years old. So he's precious. (laughs) (laughs) He got to be like that. (laughs) So when he was reading off, you know, all the things you have done, I was picturing myself, you know, watching these shows in different periods of my life, knowing that, you know, uh, he was a baby maybe not even born at times. What an (laughs) honor it is to have you and what a body of work you have uh, presented to the world. I'm, I'm just uh, a huge fan of yours. Well, thank you. I've been very lucky. I came along at the right time. <laughs> so what are you doing? Uh, right now, you know, I was uh, retired for quite a while. So I started back doing stand-up about two and a half, three years ago. And, wow, uh, I didn't I'm know that. I working at the uh, L.A. Comedy Club two nights a week, Wednesday and Thursday at 10 o'clock in the Stratosphere Hotel here in Vegas. And on the 29th, I'll be in L.A. at the Comedy Union with Andre LaBelle. And Kim Whitley, my uh, friend, is going to uh, guest host the show for me. So I'm looking forward to that, too. That's awesome. Marsha, let me ask you, so you say you retired, and I did not know that. When you went from stand-up to the films, what was that like? Because, I mean, you was a big part of that for many, many years. And you see Hollywood and how it is now. What is about Hollywood that's changed from then and now? Well, you know, everything has changed. When I started, exploitation was the thing. It was just 
you know, booming. I started doing stand-up in 1974. Wow. And so... As a stand-up, I wanted to do stand-up, but if I could get in the movies, I wanted to be the girlfriend uh, <laughs> in in the black exploitation movies. Uh-huh. You know? um, uh, that never happened, mm. you know, because I had also made a promise at that time that I would never play a maid or a whore, uh, which limited my, you know, uh, especially black exploitation. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was the two main things in the black exploitation was made and whores, right? <laughs> yeah, it wasn't just uh, black exploitation. It was TV. It was everything. That was just about it. And mm-hmm. um, I just refused to do that. So stand up was my main focus. Everything else, I uh, I fell into, uh, you know, just from doing stand up, and um, frankly, ended up turning down a lot of stuff that went on to be pretty uh, lucrative. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you, how do you view uh, some of the female comedians that you see now? You know, Tiffany Haddish's and and obviously you've worked with them all. Kim Willie's a great friend of mine as well. But what, have you seen any change in, in how the female comedians are handled and are treated in Hollywood opposed to when you came up and, the co- and opposed to how you are now? Well, when I started, you know, female comics, uh, black comics and women were pretty much novelty acts you know we were yeah. considered uh, not necessarily headliners richard pryor is pretty much to be credited for turning comedians period into headliners mm. uh before that we were opening acts and uh, in the comedy clubs uh usually the the headliner was a white male mm-hmm. and so i uh refused to accept that and said if if I'm drawing people and you know if I can handle the middle and whatever then I should be allowed to headline and early on in the comedy club uh, scene I managed to break that barrier mm-hmm. and I see a lot of women now doing all kind of things I'm all for them you know uh, go girl everybody we need as many voices as we can get absolutely you know but it's interesting that you mentioned that because before we get any of these opportunities you know my mentor was Rodney Winfield he's a great friend of mine until the day that he died I did the best that I could just to uh, show him how much I appreciated his uh, mentorship but you know you don't think about how many doors are open for you you know as I look at my uh, my friend Tiffany Haddish I, I think about how many of those sacrifices you made in order for her way to be a little bit easier so for them, I, I want to say thank you on behalf of all comedians, but especially the female comedians that got it a little bit easier because of um, some of the heartaches that you had to go through. Yeah, well, you know, it wasn't. You don't think about that kind. Of, I was just doing what was presented at the of time. Course. But it's funny you mentioned Rodney because um, back in like 1976, uh, 77, they opened a club in Newport Beach, California, mm-hmm. uh, which. When I first went down there, people would honk and wave at me because uh, I was the only black woman in town. Mm-hmm. And so they knew <laughs> that I was working at the club. Uh-huh. Um, and they had a Friday night, uh, quote unquote, dirty show. And Rodney and I used to alternate uh headline in that show and I, I used to work with him all the time wow how about that yeah he's a good dear friend of mine and god rest his soul in your opinion what's off limits in regards to what a female comedian should say or, or do on stage 
there's nothing off limits in comedy. It's like uh, the old folks used to say, it ain't what you say, is, it ain't what you do, it's the way you do it. How about that? Um, I find that a lot of people use the excuse, you know, where it's comedy, but if there's a problem, then you didn't do it right. You know, so I believe that. You could say anything you want to as long as you uh, say it, the say right it way. in a way right. that people will listen to and not just turn off. That's invaluable advice. Now, thank you so much. You are truly a living legend and a huge uh, asset and contributions are endless to what you've uh, made in the comedic world. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. The Unfiltered Comedy Tour with Marshall Warfield, Friday, June 29th at 7.30 p.m. One night only. You, my boy, Andre Lavelle. And Kim Whitley. That's right. For those of you all don't know what's going on in far as uh, location and addresses go, that's 5040 West Pico Boulevard, Los Angeles, California. And uh, make sure you go to the Comedy Union and check out my girl, Marsha Warfield. What's your social media? Where can people reach you, Marsha? Marsha Warfield, Facebook. Marsha Warfield Comedy Cafe on Facebook. Marshall Warfield at Instagram, Twitter. Okay. Just all over the board. Come on. If you Marshall Warfield. I, I'm real, you know, I like my name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so do we, sweetheart. <laughs> Thank you so much. And you have a great, great day, Marshall. Thank, Thank you. you. You too. Take care. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, Marshall Warfield, the Woo. one and the only. Man, you have no idea. Even though this I'm 23, woman, I'm a, I know who Marshall is. You don't even know Warfield what Night Court is, is dude. <laughs> Night Court was one of the best TV sitcoms in TV history. So Thank you so much for Marshall Warfield joining us right here on Comics Corner. You listen to Wilborn's World Podcast. I'm the stress reliever, George Wilborn. Wilborn's World, this is my feature called Law and Disorder. In the criminal justice system, the people represented by two separate yet equally important groups. The popo who investigate the crime and MDAs who prosecute the offenders. What the hell is they doing? I've got one of the best people that I think we can talk to. I think that today in our society, it's more than obvious that we've got to have some law and order. That's why I call this segment Law and Disorder. It seems like that's all we're seeing in our communities is a bunch of disorder from our law enforcement people, from the community members, just in general. So, Brian, tell us some of the credentials of our esteemed guest here. So our guest, Tyrone Best, he's a retired detective sergeant after working 26 years with the Metropolitan Police Department. Also worked two years with the Department of Corrections. Right now, he's working to improve the relationship between the urban community and also the police department. That's yeah, wonderful. Time. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for coming. First of all, I'd like to uh, tap in on your experience. 26 years yes. on the force. How long ago did you retire? I've been retired now. I've been going on uh, four years, be four years in August. Oh, wow. Four years in August. Now, Tyrone, have you seen in the 25-plus years that you was on the force the type of divide that we have right now between our communities and law enforcement? No, and especially not today. Um, compared to what we dealt with in the late 80s and early 90s, it's nothing comparable. It's always been a problem with the community and law enforcement but it's really showing its head today. So why is it and what has changed with law enforcement specifically the laws have not changed. Why is it that we see so many blatant disrespect for citizens in regards to arrest, how people are arrested, how women are snatched from public places, and the people that we come in to look for to protect us and serve us, we're fearing and being killed by? 
But you know what, George? This is nothing new. The only thing new is the invention of the camera on the phone. I tell the citizens when I go out and talk to people that one of our best assets is the cell phone. It's their First Amendment right. You know, it's called freedom of press. And we all have a right to pick up that phone as long as we don't interfere in the police doing their job. You know, I'm from Chicago. Came up on the south side in a very, very unfavorable neighborhood. I've been, mm-hmm. I like to consider playing with house money for a long time. Right. I wasn't supposed right. to uh, get out of that neighborhood. I certainly wasn't supposed to get out successfully. I wasn't okay. supposed to become a, a radio personality or entertainer or any of the things. I wasn't supposed to travel the world and see different, be to South Africa three times or what have you. I was not supposed to come from that neighborhood mm-hmm. and achieve all those things, but I did. And there are a lot of other neighborhoods that are like that, that are really good people in those neighborhoods. But I remember years ago, Yummy Sanford killed a young lady. He was a gang member. Citywide search for mm-hmm. this kid. He ended up getting killed at 10 years old. So wow. it's a story recently in the news where the Chicago police officers handcuffed a 10-year-old boy. Yes, I saw that. And of course, <clears throat> the police superintendent, Eddie Johnson, he came back and he defended his officer for the, the tactics he's taken um, in this particular situation. So where is the balance here? Where do police stop being so so afraid that, yes, a 10-year-old could possibly blow your head off mm-hmm. or uh, have the balance and the wherewithal to understand this is just a 10-year-old kid who's going to be terrified and probably traumatized for a good portion of his life for being handcuffed. And that's true. We're trained to deal with all types of situations. And basically, law enforcement is basically what you make of yourself out here on the streets as a patrol officer, your relationships with the community, your relationship with people, how you interact and talk to people. And sadly today, I, I, I see a lot of officers to me that I see that are afraid. Here's the analogy I use. You take some people who work in some of these urban areas who come into this city. I'm going to use D.C. You have officers who probably never interacted or went to school with people from different cultures. I understand that. And then you hire them to come here to a city to police people you know nothing about. And the only knowledge that you have of these people are what you've seen on television. Exactly. And exactly. usually those images exactly. are very negative exactly. and you have no idea of the good people like me yeah. who come from the hood. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's what we have. We got a lot of officers who's afraid. And I always say the worst thing on the street is a scared officer with a gun. I've made that assessment myself that I believe that it's a lot of fear, and it's fear both ways. You sure, have fear of the, of the community because now it seems like these guys are getting a, um, a free pass and are above the law, and they can choke you out, and they can kill you, and these officers can beat you down, whether you're a woman or a man or a kid, and get away with it. Not just get away or get acquitted. They're not even being charged. charged. Well, let me say this. Being a police officer is a hard job at times. Of course. I, people say it's a dangerous job. I don't see it as a dangerous job. I see it as a job with danger in it. There are situations that we have to make split-second decisions. Sure. How can you make split-second decisions about a people that you know nothing of? I understand And that's what we're dealing with in our communities. You was a a detective for many years. You uh, was on the streets of of D.C. and I believe D.C. was the murder capital of the world at some point, probably during your ju- yes. uh, juncture of a, as a police officer. Yes, when I came on the department in 88, 88, late 80s, early 90s, D.C. was the murder capital of the United States. And I can tell you that was during a crack cocaine epidemic. And speaking of the crack cocaine epidemic, today we have an opioid epidemic. Absolutely. But the sadness of it is during the crack cocaine epidemic, we had our mothers, brothers, sisters, um, black women, black men, uh, being incarcerated. Here right. we have the opiate problem and they want to treat it as a medical issue. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. 
I've got a three-year-old son. I've got a 19-year-old son who I'm a 20 now in mm-hmm. college. I remember the conversations I've had about how to act, how to react if you when, when he first got his driver's license, how to react if you get pulled over, how to react if you're with mm-hmm. your buddies and the police mm-hmm. up come mm-hmm. up to you. I don't know that those things have changed, but what should we be telling our children in regards to how to prevent as best we can, any altercations that will, will end up being de- detrimental uh, to them? Well, you know, I, when I go out, I have a foundation, George. It's called um, Steep Incorporated, which stands for Speaking Truth to Education and Empowerment Foundation. It's a nonprofit foundation that I, that I formed and basically was formed knowing that when I retired, I saw the miscommunication between the law enforcement and communities of colors. Mm-hmm. So my foundation purpose is to go out here and educate the community of their rights, okay. their basic rights. And as law enforcement, the first thing we're dealing with is the first 10 amendments of the Constitution, which is the Bill of Rights. Mm-hmm. Most of that is what the police officers deal with on a day-to-day doing their job out on the street. And I teach people about their First Amendment, which is freedom of speech, freedom to assembly. Second Amendment is the right to bear arms. Fourth Amendment, unreasonable search and seizure. Fifth Amendment against self-incrimination. But how are these things being applied for us? Because I can't cuss the police out like I see some white people in the news and when they get pulled over, what the hell are you doing? I can't believe I'm giving you a hurry up and give me the goddamn ticket and blah, blah. They say all that. But if uh, if a black brother say, hey man, what you stop now it's all it's right, all I'm jacked up I'm you know That's I'm the, resisting I'm gonna the freedom of speech is, is, exactly. is out of the place well it's again it's the uh, policing is a culture and don't get it wrong don't don't want people to misunderstand that it's not just the white officers black officers do the Absolutely. same thing and it's Absolutely. a culture and it's basically I, I always tell people when I was in the academy they taught me how to racial profile mm. I didn't know what it was at the time so it's a culture policing is a culture now when I speak with people and I speak to all people, I go to barbershops, I go to churches, mm-hmm. I go to sororities. Sure. Um, and when I go, I always tell them, regardless of anything, for us, whatever the police officers say, do, comply. do it. Just comply. Comply. Just comply. And that's where a lot of this is coming from, the miscommunication. Because mm-hmm. you just told us that our rights are that I can say what the hell I want to say. But the reality is, for people of color, it doesn't mean the same that thing. right is not the same right and does not apply. It's not applicable for me and my skin tone as it would be for someone else in a different skin tone. Sadly, George, you're right. But unfortunately, you're wrong because it does apply. It's just that it's not being applied to us. The criminal justice system, I don't say just police, and I say it's the entire criminal justice system. You know, you have a system that uh, there's a huge disparity in treatment. There's a huge disparity in sentencing, Mm -hmm. you know. So if you have a cultural in a criminal justice system that allows some of the things to go on in law enforcement, it's going to continue until someone stands up. It's just like Black Lives Matter, their movement. They're doing and bringing light to the situation that's been going on for years. Absolutely always equate today with the civil rights movement. Here's the problem. During the civil rights movement, law enforcement and policing never apologized to black communities for the things that happened during the civil rights movement. So if they never apologized then, what are we dealing with today? Well, they never apologized for slavery either. Exactly. So I don't know exactly. the apology is going to happen. I didn't want to happen. go that far back. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all one and the same. It is all, all one and the same. same. That's so, on to the list. Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. Well, I totally understand that, man. I um I can't tell you just how great it is meeting you and how wonderful the work Steve speaking truth to education and empowerment foundation you know this is what our communities need and be honest with you 
I don't see how we're going to make it, Tyrone, without more organizations like yours, without more education, without us being willing to turn the other cheek even more than we have mm-hmm. as a means of survival. But I would be remiss if I didn't say that black people and people of color are getting tired of our rights no being doubt. trampled no on doubt. and us having to be the one to say, even though I have the right to speak, I still have to be quiet. That is something yeah. that I believe is also contributing to all of the mistrust and mm-hmm. all of the... Um, disdain that the police and the public have for each other. How can people reach out to you if we want to call and find out what are some of the laws, you know, here or or abroad? What are some of our rights? Where can we reach you and your organization? Mm 240-432-9970. And what I do, and I tell people it's not a police bashing session. What it is, it's a very interactive session that I'd be interacting with the community. And I teach them their rights. I teach them not just their rights, you talk about state rights, you talk about local rights, but there are also Supreme Court cases that deals with a lot of things we're dealing with today. And if people don't know that, and unfortunately, we're the only community got to have that talk because of law enforcement, but we need to have it. And that's what I enjoy doing. I go out and I speak to people and I tell people their rights. I appreciate you, man. Thank you for coming on Wilborn's World Law and Disorder. But really, you see, what we're trying to do is to maintain and create and get some order, especially within our community. Thank you so much. Thank you, sir. Tyrone Best. And now it's time to get deep. Thank you, Lord, from the cradle to grave. Thank you, Lord, for the magic of shave. Thank you, Lord, for the path that's been paved and saved. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) Don't forget to subscribe to Wilborn's World on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or any other podcast directory. If you like what you heard, leave a five-star review. I'm the stress reliever George Wilborn at AURN.com.